the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk, and thanks so much for tuning in. Joining me on the show tonight is Ash. Ash, how are you, mate? Pretty good. Home and away season done and pumped to get into the finals. Absolutely, mate. Couldn't agree with you more. And Tom joins us after five and a half weeks in Europe. How are you, mate? Good to have you back. Yeah, good. Um, I was getting a bit sick of waking up at, uh, you know, five, six in the morning to, to tune into the games on my phone on that very uh, expensive and um, dodgy AFL app that you got to download to watch overseas. So it's good to be back just tuning in in the living room and We've got a week now to play all of the four finals in our heads a million times and, and uh, see if we can come up with the answers. Absolutely. A lot to talk about on tonight's show. But to run you through the results of the weekend, Collingwood were extraordinary on Friday night with a 70-point win over Essendon. Uh, Fremantle headed to the G and got the chocolates over Hawthorne, something that they normally don't do at the MCG, but they finished their season on a high. North Melbourne stun everyone, forfeit their rights to Harley Reid and win over the Gold Coast Suns by 35 points. An inaccurate Brisbane gets the chocolates over St Kilda at the Gabba. The Western Bulldogs did what they needed to do to put themselves in finals contention, but unfortunately it was not enough. They won by 25 points over the Cats. The Crows went over to Perth and beat the Eagles by 45 points. Port did what they needed to do against Richmond on Sunday at Adelaide Oval. Melbourne against a very competitive Sydney Swans won by 21 points. And to conclude the round, Ash, you didn't get the chocolates this week, uh, but I am very wrapped for GWS. They won by 32 points to get themselves into seventh position on the ladder. Uh, obviously a lot to talk about with those games and we'll touch on those in due course, but uh, out of Perth last night, it was a unanimous decision by the West Coast Eagles board to back in coach Adam Simpson for 2024. I feel like this is going to be a very interesting way that you blokes view this opinion because we haven't talked about this yet. Um, I'm quite surprised that they've stuck with him at the same time. I can understand why they've also stuck with him because I don't feel like there's anyone else better on the market than Adam Simpson. It would be different if you had, you know, the caliber of Hardwick and Alistair Clarks and, you know, and those types that are available, but with no big fish, I suppose, to, to lure across to the other side of the country, I can see why they've stuck with Simpson. Uh, I know that for West Coast fans, there's probably going to be another couple of years of pain before, they do rise up the ladder again. But, yeah, I'm more surprised that they have stuck with him. Fight, fight won five games out of the last 44. So it's a pretty bad record, pretty tough to come back from. Um, and if you were in a lot of other sports around the world, you wouldn't be surviving with a record like that. Uh, Ash, I'll throw it to you first. What are your thoughts on Adam Simpson sticking around at the Eagles for next year? Well, I think there were probably pros and cons of sort of both sides, whether he was to stay or to leave. I think overall, I think that $6 million figure or whatever the number floated about was to sort of replace Simpson. If you're stuck in a situation like that, you're probably better off keeping him than sort of getting a new coach, especially considering if you were to replace him with someone else, you're throwing someone right into the deep end off the back of the Eagles' sort of worst season to date and one of the worst seasons we've seen from any club to date. 
So I think it's probably safe to sort of save that new coach, get Simpson sort of through that rebuild a bit or at least through the first couple of years. And then when they can really sort of start to see the light at, a, at the end of the tunnel, get someone who you can sort of be sure is going to see through the rebuild and get Eagles into sort of finals contention and eventually potentially winning a premiership. So I think I don't disagree um, with the decision made. I think it was sensible but at the same time. You sort of got to feel how much change is there going to be this off season and what are we going to see from the Eagles next year to sort of improve and not be a complete basket case like we saw this year. It's been reported that CEO Trevor Nisbet won't. Uh, he's not expecting to fulfil the contract that he has for next year, but you would anticipate there'd be some pretty heavy changes in the football department. We know that the fitness boss uh, lost his job um, mid-year, so they'll be they've been scouring the world for someone um, to replace their current fitness boss, and I think a fit West Coast Eagles would make a quick, not a quick rise. You could see them improve next year. To what degree, who knows, but um, feel like this is the first, the fitness boss is just the first domino to fall in the biggest scheme of things. What What are your thoughts on this, Tom? Yeah, look, I, you know, they've, they've made the decision. Um, they've backed him in and who knows how long that will last, but at least it takes a little bit of the pressure off heading into the off season. They know that, Simo is going to be coaching them at least for the next season. I think that ultimately these things um, almost live and die on the playing group. So was there, if there was some sort of discontent among the playing ranks with regard to Simpson and how he'd handled the season, I think that's all you need to know to, um, to push him out the door. The fact that he's still there despite the results says to me that he still has a firm grasp on the, the playing group and that, they're all still happy to go along playing for him, even though a lot of those senior guys who he took to a flag will no longer be there. So um, I think that's my main take out of it. If that's the way they've decided to go, then they know what they're doing. The only thing I'd say with regard to the um, the board, you know, unanimously ratifying his position, I feel like often, at least publicly, boards make these decisions unanimously. We saw the outrage um, last year when... You know, Kevin Sheedy broke ranks and spoke about how he wanted James Hurd to be the senior coach at Essendon instead of Brad Scott, and that was seen as quite a almost like an active betrayal on behalf of Sheed. So whether or not all members of the West Coast board were unanimous, I, I highly doubt it, but they've obviously decided to unify behind this position um, and, and stick with Simo going forward. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> questions will be continued to be asked about him into next season, but they've made their bed for 2024, and um, good on them. I think with Simpson sticking around, it might give them a little bit more hope and optimism when it comes to the the trade period and, and the free agency market. We've seen a few players go there in recent times, um, you know, players coming back to, to WA from clubs on the Eastern Seaboard. And there's a few that will probably end up heading to the West Coast Eagles. It won't be Mitch Georgiades as he's about to sign a four-year deal with Port Adelaide, which I'm very happy about. But, um, you know, there's a few players such as Tyler Brockman from uh, the, the Hawks who are looking to, to go back West. And I think if there's some st- stability in that coaching um, group and ideally, you know, for West Coast fans, Adam Simpson keeps his tenure until the end of his contract in 25, I think. Um, you know, it might entice a few more players to go go there and, and know that they're going to get some opportunities as well. Like a player like Tyler Brockman, um, he's 
wasn't getting regular games at the Hawks, but, you know, if he goes to West Coast with the way that their list is now, you know, over 600 games of experience have just gone out the door in the last couple of couple of days, um, you know, it's um, – they're big shoes to fill. But, boys, let's uh, continue on. North Melbourne, I don't – I haven't asked you about this yet and I don't know how it's going to go, but they had – an opportunity to potentially throw a game uh, against the Gold Coast Suns down in Tasmania, uh, but they've decided to go go out, get the win, and good good on them for for going out and getting the win against a pretty lackluster Gold Coast Suns, who obviously had a big week last week with the appointment of Damien Hardwick. Um, but Nick Nick Larkey kicked nine goals. North Melbourne, you know, won by thirty five points. Do we think that North Melbourne made the right decision, Tom, in winning that game and therefore essentially passing up first opportunity to, to get Harley, Harley Reid and whatever happens with Ben Mackay and that potential compensation pick of pick two or three now, I'd say? Um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I, I kind of sometimes kind of think we get a bit carried away with the, the tanking conversation. I don't really give two hoots if a team tanks the last game of the season. Obviously, we don't want it going on for huge chunks of the year like we see in the NBA and stuff like that. But, you know, one game at the end of the year, I don't think it ever really changes things. But with regard to what actually happened, I take my lead from, you know, mates I've got who back for North. They were absolutely wrapped. They've lost 20 weeks in a row. Like, that is an unbearable, you know, uh, burden to to wear as a football supporter. And three years in a row on the wooden, in the wooden spoon, um, just doesn't really happen. So I think that with regard to that, good on them. They've lost the opportunity to pick first, but that's all they've lost. It's not like the whoever has the number one pick gets Harley Reid and then North get nothing. They're still going to get pick two, potentially pick three as well, and potentially they'll still end up with one if they um, make a trade with West Coast. So I think we get really you know carried away with what number you get, you're still going to get a bloody good player. Um, and I think that the, you know the culture-building element of it and the – the joy on supporters' faces at the end of that game was was well and truly worth it. You could just see the reaction from the players on the, on Saturday and the um, you know the way that Alistair Clarkson spoke in the press conference. It gave them something to look forward to for preseason and next year. Ash, do you have anything additional to add to what Tom's just talked about? Yeah, I think Tom summed it up really well. Um, I agree. Sort of no, nothing beats winning, especially when you've lost for so many games in a row. And to carry that momentum, hopefully, into preseason and into next year is going to be instrumental. Uh, and then I also agree that sort of um, just because they haven't finished with the number one pick, North, uh, sorry, West Coast are most likely going to end up trading it anyway with picks two and three likely already in their hand. Sort of the floor is theirs. If they really wanted to trade up for pick one, they can still make that happen. Not to mention that Harley Reid probably isn't exactly the type of player that North really need. They have a lot of those sort of, um, you know, in, inside mids and dynamic forwards that can push through the midfield. So I think focusing on key position players for North should be more important than potentially Harley Reid. Not to mention that very rarely does a number one pick end up being the best player five to ten years later. So I think good on North for winning. I think it was the right decision. And, um, yeah, the, the other thing that I just want to qu- quickly touch on is Nick Larkey 
who I think has had a really underrated season. Um, he's, I believe, the first player since Nick, uh, sorry, Wayne Carey in 1999 to kick more than 75 goals, uh, sorry, 65 goals. Um, Larky kicked 71 with nine in the final round. Um, and I think that's made even more impressive by the fact that how terrible North have been this year and a pretty shocking win-loss record. Um, just the way that Larky plays, competes in the air, wins it at ground level and sort of has the patience and the foot skills to really hit a target um, and execute to find a teammate. So I think he's a very underrated player, a smoky for all Australian if you want to sort of put him up there. And, uh, yeah, North fans will be wrapped with how he's going. Absolutely. And uh, I think Nick Larky will be getting an all-Australian blazer, but we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh Let's touch on something really positive. I loved what the Giants did on Sunday night, and we're going to lead into our good stories of the round. And the Giants, for me, um, three and seven after round 10, and you probably thought it was just uh, a season that was not going to be wasted, but a, a season that, you know, could slip away very quickly. And the fact that they were able to turn it around have an eight-game winning streak mid-year, had a slight wobble against Port Adelaide a couple of weeks ago, but were able to respond really well. And the way that they played on Sunday night against a top-eight team and someone who we think can genuinely contend in Carlton um, was really good to watch. Their small forwards in Brett Daniels and Toby Bedford were just electrifying, and Toby Green as well. Um in contention for all Australian captain, in in my opinion, as well. Uh, you know, those three players, they were just so dynamic. And Jesse Hogan in the last, um, you know, month of the month of the season that he's played, he's been really uh, exciting to watch and what GWS would have dreamed for after they traded him, um, traded him in from Fremantle. So, yeah, I love the way that the Giants are playing. I think they're going to, they're going to knock off St Kilda in that first week of the finals, um, even if the game is at the MCG. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my good news story from the week. Tom, is there anything that you'd like to touch on from the weekend that was really good? Oh, look, I'd probably echo your statements, Cal. I thought the Giants, um, you know, they won their way in. Like, they didn't just sort of hold on to that spot. They actually needed to win. They needed to beat the informed team of the competition to do it, and they did it. And, you know, their team is good. Their brand is good. They've got one of the best forwards in the comp they've got one of the best defenders in the in the comp we're a deep and diverse midfield they've got role players like um bedford buckley iden perriman these guys that play in the right way so i don't know what they can do this year um but i'm i'm with you i reckon that they're going to be a really you know strong force to contend within the finals and i think going forward into next year they're you know, I'll probably be um, be picking them in the, in the top four. So, yeah, I think they're one of the, the great stories of the, the year, really, and you think about where they came from and all of the talent, or a lot of the talent that took them to those successful years, the prelims and the, the grand final, a lot of it's still there. Like Cameron's not there anymore, Jeremy Cameron, obviously, but, you know, a lot of these guys who were the nucleus of that team and have been since the early days are still there. So... Um, I thought that was a great story along with, yeah, probably North Melbourne getting that win. Absolutely. Ash, what did you particularly like from the weekend? Um, I want to give a bit of credit to Collingwood and I've probably talked a bit of smack being a Carlton supporter. I probably haven't given them the credit that they're due as probably one of the biggest uh, 
premiership contenders this season. Um, and look, they were playing Essendon, who have been pretty woeful the last fortnight. But I think, you know, Collingwood, the, the, what we saw was the ball pretty much living in their forward half for the entire first quarter. Um, Collingwood uh, more than doubled Essendon's inside 50s and just their ability to control the ball on the inside and the outside was sort of second to none. Um, their pressure and perceived pressure and willingness to move the ball forward quickly off turnover was excellent. Um, and by halftime, I believe it was Collingwood scored 44 points from their forward half, whereas they'd only averaged 39 points um, across the entire game for the, for the rest of the season. So at times it looked like Collingwood had, you know, an extra player or two on the field um, just with their ability to sort of outnumber each contest and then spur on the outside. Um, and you could really see how high the defenders were pushing up to really lock that ball in and then backing their speed on transition um, to go back into defence. Um, they were aggressive in around the contest, outworking Essendon, and sort of when there was a 50-50 ball to be won, um, Essendon were pretty hesitant, and you can see Collingwood just wanted it way more, went straight at him, and uh, that's pretty much how you win finals. And it's been a great sort of season for them. Got to give them the credit. And it will be interesting to see how they can play on the MCG. Um, you know, similar to how they have uh, during the home and away season, every game is big for them. And, yeah, it's uh, a bit scary for me as a Carlton supporter. I don't want to see the, them to equal the ledger at 16 premierships. So I'm hoping someone can give it up to them and hopefully cause a bit of an upset. Uh, the, the Carlton and Collingwood rivalry continues. But uh, I echo your thoughts about the Pies, mate. I thought they were pretty electric on Friday night um, against a pretty deplorable Bombers team, if I'm being perfectly honest. But um, the fact that Collingwood just has so much debt um, and a lot of selection issues coming into that first final, do you play Dacos? Do you play Dacos and more? Um, you know, how do you look with your, your ruck system against Max Gorn? You know, there's lots of questions for Collingwood and they've got lots of options going forward. But uh, a game that I really wanted to touch on quickly before we moved into our negatives was uh, Sydney and Melbourne. I thought this was a really good game of footy. I thought it was a good preview of what's to come in, in the finals. And Christian Petrarca, I think, will certainly be getting some Brownlow votes in this game. Um. He had 18 possessions between the middle of the third quarter and the end of the game. He finished up with 29 in total. Um, and he sort of had the, you know, jump on my back, boys. You know, let's let's get this game done. And after Port Adelaide won over Richmond on the weekend, you know, Melbourne didn't need to win that game. Their top four position wasn't in jeopardy. But it was a good confidence builder. And, and Bailey Fritz is just such an important player in this team. He's probably one of Melbourne's, you know, most important players other than, you know, the usual suspects in Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver, Viney, um, you know, Lever and May, you know, um, you know, Fritz is just so important to their, their forward line structure because their forward line structure hasn't necessarily gelled all year. They've tried so many different combinations, whether it's Van Roy and, you know, Ben Brown, Tom McDonald, but, um, you know, they've got lots of options in that forward line. And unfortunately, Jake Melcham has uh, sustained an ACL injury. So we wish him all the best with his recovery. And it's really sad considering he missed out on that 21 flag, um, was an emergency for that grand final. So, you know, just when he was properly getting a, a regular game with, 
with the demons, you know, he sustains an injury like this, but are you scared of the, the demons come September, Tom? Oh, yeah, I'm always scared of the Demons. I mean, I, I feel like they, like all the top four teams, there are question marks, and that's what I think is really exciting about this final series is all top four teams have, you know, pretty tangible question marks, and, you know, there's some really, really informed teams that are outside the top four, but they will need to do it from, you know, from the difficult positions. So I'm, I'm pumped about that, and I think the Ds probably are looking as good as anyone going into the uh, – going into the finals, but they are really relying on Fritch, as you mentioned, and um, they need to make sure that he's all good. Melsham is just devastating. I feel like he's a he's become a bit of a, a loved figure, um, not just in the Demons, but around the league. He seems to have the goodwill of a lot of people, having played a lot of footy, you know, when the Ds weren't so crash hot, coming up through in 2018, having a really good year, and then missing out, as you mentioned, in 21. Um, I think that they are probably up there with the best contenders. I've got to say that one of my negatives from the round, this is, will probably seem harsh and maybe a, a little bit um, I don't know, a, a little bit off kilter, but I'm kind of disappointed that Brisbane finished second. Um, they've had a great year. They're a good team, but I don't really see them doing it um, you know, on the final day at the MCG. And so the fact that they've now secured a home final and in all likelihood have a pretty clear path through the grand final, um, I think I would much rather have seen some combination of Port Adelaide, you know, Collingwood, Carlton, Melbourne in the grand final. Now we're likely to get Brisbane and just one of those other teams who I think will probably be able to knock them off. So, yeah, a little bit harsh for Brisbane, but I just don't quite see them doing it this year. And I'm kind of – it just feels a little bit off to me that they now have that, that clear run through. Yeah, well, we could touch about touch on that a little bit later in the show. Do you have any additional thoughts to, to add on the Demons, Ash? Not on the Demons. I, I did have a, a negative if we're sort of going to touch on that now. Um, Go for it, mate. And, and this might come as a bit of a surprise or unpopular opinion, but I thought St Kilda were my negative for this round. Um, and I think a lot of people sort of look at that result and sort of see 12 points against Brisbane at the Gava, who is probably not expected to win. But I thought that um, St Kilda were totally dominated by the Lions in terms of territory. And I think to be I think within 14 points at, at halftime was purely off the back of Brisbane's inaccuracy. Um, you know, the Saints just couldn't clear the footy from that back half at all um, and, and finished the second quarter goalless. And they had 35 opportunities to bring the ball from the defensive 50 and they didn't score once. So they just couldn't function. And I guess credit has to go to Brisbane too from not allowing them to sort of move the ball at all. Um, strategically and structurally, Brisbane just well on top, smashing them in clearances. And their pressure, they just left St. Kilda with no other option but to sort of bomb it long down the line, give the ball back, and, and Brisbane just dominated in that in that aspect. So I think St. Kilda have a few things to work on. They'll still be happy that they've locked in finals. They'll be happy that they have a home final as well. Playing the Giants, the G, which may seem slightly controversial to not play it at Marvel, but it's going to be interesting. I agree, Tom, what you mentioned. Every team sort of have, has their flaws. Every team can also potentially win it. So... Uh, cracking final series. Yeah. Your thoughts about St Kilda very much resonate with why I think the Giants are going to get get them in a couple of weeks' time. I just think, you know, St Kilda with, uh, sorry, GWS with genuine leg speed, St Kilda with a, I'd say, relatively one-paced midfield, um, I think is going to come back to haunt them. And the St Kilda, I feel like it's a lot of, 
Max King or, or bust um, with, with their structure. And I don't know, it might be a little bit harsh on the Saints considering that they did finish in six and they were in the eight for the entire year. And I still think we do need to give them some credit for that, but um, they were lucky that they were able to bank those early, early wins and it allowed them to have a, a few stumbles. Um, but they, the wins over Richmond and, and, Geelong were really critical to to their success. Uh, I want to touch on the negatives as well, and it's a positive and a negative. I'm really happy for the Giants that they got in, but I'm also quite happy that the Western Bulldogs didn't make the eight. Um, I just didn't think their form warranted a position in the top eight. And if they were playing Carlton on the Friday night, I feel like they would have got spanked anyway. So uh, I think it's probably a good thing. It allows the Western Bulldogs to... I suppose, have a review and get all their processes in place because I don't feel like they're maximizing their list for the, the talent that they've got. You know, the team that was there in 2021, it's still relatively a similar team. They've been able to, you know, add players like Liam Jones in, in defense and, and Rory Lobb, you know, has played some, done some good things for them since his inclusion. But I think the the loss of Josh Dunkley is just, um, um, significant by how do I say that significantly affected the way that they go about it or the way that they have gone about it this year and, and left a big hole in their team. So um, we've talked about last week where the beverage is in trouble. It sounds like he's not in trouble with his job for um, the time being, but you know, there could be a few dominoes to fall. There's rumblings around Bailey Smith not being happy with Geelong and Hawthorne, certainly circling him. Uh, he's a contracted player until the end of next year, but, you know, every player is tradable for, for the right price. So, Ash, what are your thoughts on the Western Bulldogs? And are you kind of happy that they didn't make it as well, or am I being a bit harsh? No, I'm happy that they didn't make it purely on the fact that it was partly on them to blame for Carlton not making finals last year. If they didn't beat the Bulldogs by as much as they did, then they wouldn't have had half a percent more than Carlton just to make finals ahead of us in ninth. So screw the dogs. Last year we were relying, you know, after us losing, we were relying on them to to lose or to uh, to not win by as much. This year the tables have turned. They were relying on us to win. Uh, so, yeah, that's what they get. Cameron West comes back to bite you. Revenge is a dish best served cold and... Tom, any additional thoughts on the dogs, mate? No, nah, I mean, everyone's just really cross with them at the moment, aren't they? I feel like um, they're the team that everyone's just really, you know, flat with and disappointed with because we do expect more with that list. Um, yeah, I mean, they still had an okay season, but with the team that they've got and those the way that they've sort of completely fumbled the bag at the end of the year, losing to Hawthorne and West Coast, I mean, they don't deserve to be there. Definitely one of the more interesting teams to watch over the off-season, the pre-season and the start of next season because we're going to learn a lot um, about, you know, which players come and go and uh, and how they intend to to attack 2024. So I'm, I'm pretty uh, keen to see how that goes. I'm not one to blow my own trumpet, but I will say that I did successfully predict that the Dogs would not make the eight and I also successfully picked that Fremantle wouldn't make the eight. The only thing that I said that's come back to bite me in the ass firmly is that Collingwood won't make the eight. And that, uh, <laughs> and then finishing min- minor premiers has certainly come back to bite me in the ass. But uh, that's the fun of preseason predictions. Now, tomorrow night, gentlemen, is 
the All-Australian Rising Star uh, Players MVP and the Coaches Awards. Now, we've all had a look at the the squad of 40 uh, for the All-Australians and we're going to, I suppose, name some Smokies who may... We may have thought, oh, I'm not sure, but I reckon he could get in. Uh, and we're also going to have a prediction at who the captain and the vice-captain is going to be because the captain and vice-captain of the All-Australian team has been a very controversial topic in years gone by, uh, particularly with blokes who don't actually captain in their captain their own team. So who wants to go first out of Ash and Tom? Take it away, Ash. Oh, I was going to say, I'll give, I'll give you the honours. Um, what are we starting off with? Rising Star or All Australian or? Let's go with All Australian votes? and then we'll and then we'll uh, we'll go with All Australian first. Then we'll lead into Rising Star, Players MVP, and then the Coaches Award at the end. So All Australians first, please, mate. Uh, do you want the full list or a few Smokies or? Let's go the Smokies. I feel like we've got a reasonably good idea of who's going to going to make it, but maybe those slightly controversial picks. Uh, well, I think Tom Liberatore has had a pretty underrated season, depending on who you ask. I think it's probably been a bit overshadowed by the fact that uh, Bont has had the season which he has. So I think that Liber probably deserves to make it, I reckon. Um, I reckon Rose is probably in a very similar boat. Um, being overshadowed by Butters being in sort of contention for all the, the big awards. So I think that he's a Smokey who I'm sort of a big fan of. Uh, who else? Maybe come back to me. Uh, pass it to Tom for now. All right, Tommy, take it away. Um, yeah, well, I mean, some some great inclusions in the squad. It's always good to see a few first-timers, and uh, there's plenty of first-timers this year. One guy who I think should make the team, and I haven't, I'm a little bit surprised that I haven't seen him in, in more teams is Callum Wilkie. I reckon he's had an outstanding year as that sort of third defender, um, pretty inexperienced, you know, back line that he's had to lead this year. He's led the league in both intercept possessions and in marks, and he's also done some really good defensive jobs. So I think he should be named in the back pocket. Um, and the other one I was going to mention is is the wingers. I know people <laughs> have different views on this. I'm a staunch um, name real wingman on the wings guy, especially the way footy's played these days where it is very much an actual isolated position. Um, so, yeah, I think this year as well with guys like Gordon and Josh Dacos, there's no excuse not to name both of those guys on the wings. They've been absolutely outstanding this year. You're not kind of – stretching to fit um, a guy on there, you know, by position. I think both of those guys very much deserve it. So I hope they do the right thing and and pull the trigger on those two. I'll just name a couple of guys who I thought were a little bit unlucky from the squad. Um, Charlie Ballard was one from the Suns. He started the season in fantastic form, tapered away a little bit, got beaten a few times in the last few weeks. But, yeah, third for the league for intercept marks, um, contested the third most one-on-ones out of any backman as well, and, and one or half, three quarters of them. So I thought his season probably deserved a, a squad um, inclusion. Tim Kelly, just a really, really good season playing in an awful side with no support. Um, I think probably his most impressive season at the level. Obviously, you know, played good seasons at Geelong when they were a top team, but um, I reckon he deserved a nod as well. And um, from a Richmond point of view, I think lots of people are upset with the Tim Taranto situation, but I actually thought Bolton, Shea Bolton was maybe a victim of his own high standards. 
Um, one of only three players to average 20 disposals and a goal across the year with Dusty and Petrarca and rated elite for clearances as well. So I think if you're looking at what he does do as opposed to maybe what he hasn't done this year, um, yeah, he deserved to be in the mix too. Did you guys have any unlucky or lucky players you wanted to mention? I thought Dustin Martin was extremely lucky to be named in this squad. Um, There's certainly times where I thought he's been really good this year, but I don't feel like he's been – obviously, we look back to 2017 and just think that's peak Dusty and that's, you know, a bit like Shea Bolden. You know, he is the highest of standards that we've seen. Um, But I still feel like there's probably a lot of midfielders that would be ahead of Dusty, you look at players like Caleb Sarong, he's probably 50 50 to, to get in that team for for my personal opinion. So, um, yeah, he's probably one that I thought was a bit lucky. Isaac Quainor was someone that I was like, uh, yeah, they've been solid this year, but I don't know whether it's a all Australian caliber season. Um, and Mason Redmond was the other one that I was just like, yeah, that's prob- he's probably just in the squad of 40, but nowhere uh, close to, to making the team for my liking. I really like that Oscar Allen got a recognition for kicking 50 goals in a team similar to, to Nick Larkey in a way, you know, playing in a team that got, you know, that was that really struggled throughout the year. Both Allen and Larkey had you know, were double teamed at points, you know, throughout the season. So, yeah, I le- really like your one of how Wilkie, um, Tom, I think he's probably, I'd probably pick him ahead of Tom Stewart if I'm being perfectly honest. But uh, I thought James Sisley was awesome this year. And mm. if he wasn't, if he didn't miss so many games, I think he'd be a shoe in for uh, that particular team. So let's look at vice-captain and Captain, oh, I'll also make one other call. I think they will go with all Kerno, Walker, and Larky. So I think they'll go the three tall forwards, and I think they're going to pick a second Ruckman this year. I'd be really considering putting Rowan Marshall on the bench because the bench tends to be a spot where it's just let's pick four midfielders who didn't make the squad. So um, if we could have some variety in the positions on the bench, I think that would be really good this year. Do they name a 23 because it's a sub, or is it still the 22? Yeah, just the just the twenty two. Um, it would be interesting to see if they included, you know, a, a, another position, whether or not that would be like a specialist sub, like a versatile kind of player. But um, yeah, they haven't brought that in as yet. Anyway, Ash, did you have anything that you'd like to add from before, or are you happy to get straight into captain and vice captain? I think Sam Taylor's one who had a pretty underrated season, probably similar to Ballard, um, where if they played for a big Victorian team, they'll probably get a lot more attention than they currently do. So I think Sam Taylor is very unlucky there. Sam Taylor had a fantastic year. However, he did have a six to eight week hamstring injury mid-year. So that's probably why he uh, wasn't so high up. But Ash, are you ready to go with captain and vice captain? Yeah, I would probably say Bont for my captain. and. Oh, I haven't thought about vice captain. Um, maybe like a Harris Andrews or a, a Darcy Moore, potentially as a as a VC. 
Very good. Tom? Um, yeah, uh, I reckon, well, Bonson Pally, I think, just in the way that he's played this year, you know, has been a huge influence on his team as captain. I think if Moore is in the team, he will probably get it because he's led, you know, the team that's finished top of the ladder um, and some of his leadership, you know, in other areas of the game this year as well, such as his, you know, Anzac Day speech and some of the work he does off the field, I think could get him over the line. But I also think that his position is up for debate. I don't necessarily think that he's a lock when you got guys like Wiedering, Andrew, Sicily, um, you know, even Wilkie potentially in the side. So, yeah, I'll probably go with Moore because I expect him to be named, but um, we'll go with Bont as the vice. I'll go Bont as my captain. I think that's the pretty safe pick at this point. And I'm going to go with Toby Green as my vice captain. I think um, he's been pretty outstanding this year. So um, I think he needs to get some recognition. So either Darcy Moore or uh, Toby Green, but I'm going to go with Toby Green for a different flavor. Now, Rising Star tomorrow night, I would – all, we'd all pretty much assume that Harry Siesel at this point is going going to win. Uh, if it was, if Ashcroft hadn't done his knee, it probably would have been a lot closer race. Does anyone disagree with that? I've got Siesel. I think um, there's people, you know, <clears throat> certainly who would be gunning for Mitch Owens or even Ashcroft to hold on, even with the injury. But I think at the end of the day, despite the fact that he's playing, you know, as, as effectively a loose off half back, he's had an amazing year, so consistent. And finished off in incredible fashion. Like his last few weeks, he's gone back to his early season form where he was racking up 30-plus every week. So, you know, for a first-year player to continue with that form, I think it's got to be rewarded. Absolutely. And, Ash, did you have any different thoughts on the rising star? No, I agree with Stephen Lewis, if Tom explained it well. I think Amos, Jay Amos, is one Mm. that's... um, probably deserves a bit more attention. I, I reckon that he's probably had a potentially better season than Mitch Owens um, in a pretty sort of inexperienced Frio forward line in terms of um, key forwards. I think he's really stood up well. So, yeah, for a second-year player like him, done really well. Absolutely. Let's move on to the players' MVP. Um, now, it was pretty. it's going to be pretty close. Um, you've got players like Nick Dacos, Marcus Bontepelli, Christian Petrarca, Zach Butters, who have all had... Pretty good years. We're probably anticipating that it's going to go to a midfielder unless Charlie Kerno um, gets the votes from the peers. But uh, I'll probably still go with Nick Dacos as my player's MVP, uh, along with probably Marcus Bontempelli in second, and I'll go Zach Butters in third place. What are your thoughts, Tom? Uh, Toby Green for me. I think that he will be recognised as the most valuable player to his team, the way he's dragged the Giants over the line this year, um, which would be good. You know, as as you mentioned, mostly expect midfielders to get these, but if a forward got it, that'd be cool. My only caveat on that is, given the players are voting on this, is Toby Green a popular enough figure among the playing ranks to get those top votes? And if not, then I think Bonton Pally um, will claim it. Ash, anything different or unique? No, Sars, is it? Is it voted on by all players or captains or who's? All players get a vote, but you're not allowed to vote for players from your own club. Yeah. Uh, I agree, Toby Green. I wrote that decision. Interesting. And the last one that we're going to touch on is the Coaches Award. So uh, they don't reveal the votes for the Coaches Award after round 22. So 
We believe that Nick Dacos is in the lead at this point in time with 99 based on the uh, the latest release, but um, obviously Dacos hasn't played the last couple of games due to his knee injury. We expect, you'd probably expect Butters to get votes in the last couple of games. You'd probably expect Connor Rose to get votes in the last couple of games as well. Uh, Petrarca would have definitely got some votes on the weekend as well. So who do you anticipate getting the, the coaches award? Tom? Um, I've got Butters. I think um, he's two rounds to go. He was seven votes behind Dacos, so he should easily um, overtake him. With He'll get maybe not the tens in the last two weeks, but he'll certainly poll votes in both of those games. Um, yeah, Petrarca and Bontempelli, I think, will poll at least one. Petrarca certainly this week. Bontempelli probably this week, might not poll against West Coast. So, um, yeah, I think Butters will take it out. So hopefully the four of those, the big four from this season, Dacos, Butters, Track and Bont and Pally can kind of share the big awards. I think that that might happen. And it certainly leaves, if this is a, if this is quite a close count um, with, with the players, then hopefully, you know, Brownlow night's going to be very interesting as well. Ash, any particular thoughts on MVP? I think that Butters will win it. And I think second and third, we're pretty close between Bont and Dacos and then Track just behind them. Yeah, I'm also of the opinion that I think uh, Zach Butters will be um, winning the, the coaches award this year. I think he's been pretty pretty solid this year. Um, I've been pretty big on him since that Sydney game in, in round four. Um, you can go back to that and see hear my predictions on, on Zach Butters. but. Um, yeah, I expect Bond to, to get pretty close. And um, unfortunately for Dacos, it, it would have been awards all round for him this year if it wasn't for that nasty knee injury. Uh, now, we're going to move on to the finals. So Collingwood and Melbourne play on the Thursday night. Then on the Friday night, it's Carlton and Sydney at the MCG. Saturday is St Kilda and the Giants at the MCG. And then the Gabba on Saturday night is Port Adelaide and Brisbane. I feel like Port and Brisbane have been given the rough end of the stick considering that they finished second and third, but they have to play the Saturday night game. I feel like that's pretty unfair. They should be getting the Friday night slot, and I don't understand why Carlton and and Sydney need that Friday night slot. Yes, it's great that Carlton are back in the finals, but I feel like they'd pull probably even a better crowd on a Saturday night. Does anyone have any... uh, Opposing views on the on the fixture for the first week. Uh, I think um, it's it might even be from a Sydney point of view. You know, like the AFL likes to tap into the Sydney market when they're in the finals because they get gigantic ratings. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they're the, the Friday night scheduling of that game is more so with, with Sydney than the Blues. But yeah, I do agree. It's a little bit stiff. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's going to sort of work. Interesting to see how things shake out over the next couple of weeks and you know who ends up playing where, which venues and stuff. But, yeah, if to play on a Saturday night and then potentially if Port go down to have to, to travel um, the next week is, is pretty rough, I agree. And, Ash, your thoughts on the round one finals fixtures? Come on, Callum. It's like you don't know me well enough, of course. I'm most pumped for the Carlton game. Uh, first final since 2013. Bit of revenge since our last final we played. It was against Sydney 2. So uh, I'm pumped to go to the first final in person, hopefully assuming I can get tickets, um, in my life. So, yeah, thrilled. That's, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, so, yeah, thoughts on 
initially who's going to be the winner from Collingwood and Melbourne on that Thursday night game. I'll go Collingwood, uh, but I'm not confident with that tip. I feel like Melbourne can get them. Mm, yeah, this is hard. Um, yeah, I'll just. This go. is probably the hardest to pick yeah. out of the four of them. This would be the hardest to pick, I'd say. I think it's the hardest to pick because I think they're the two best teams. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go Collingwood. Just first instinct says Pies. Ash, I agree. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that Carlton will win that first final on the on the Friday night. Did anyone disagree? Yeah, Blues for me. I don't want to jinx anything, but you know my opinion. <laughs> you know my opinion. Uh, Saturday, uh, St Kilda versus the Giants. Now, I'm pretty bullish on the Giants, so I'm going to stick with them, even though it's at the G and not Marvel. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, obviously Saints, you know, better at Marvel than the G, but so are the Giants. So in in one weird way, it kind of actually benefits the Saints to have that game um, at the G. Uh, I f- I'm really tossing up between this one as well. I think that I am probably just leaning towards um, towards the Giants, but a lot will they will probably live and die on selection. And Ash. I agree. I think the Giants will win. And last one, uh, Brisbane and Port Adelaide. Even though I'm a Port Adelaide supporter, uh, Brisbane haven't lost at the Gabba all year. So, yeah, unfortunately, I feel like that trend continues. I'm pretty realistic about, you know, Melbourne, um, sorry, Brisbane being able to play really well at home. But um, if I was Port, I wouldn't be risking Charlie Dixon and hope that he's ready for the week after. Um, but your thoughts, Tom? I think uh, I think Brisbane will win, but I think Port are going to give it a real crack. I reckon, um, yeah, I reckon they're they're a team that is ready to travel and um, and take on the big task. But yeah, Brisbane, you probably just can't tip against them from a you know logic and history perspective. Very very fair, Ash. Oh, I agree with you, Callum. Uh, I think Brisbane at home is probably one of the strongest sort of uh, teams and hardest teams to beat. So, yeah. Are we unanimous then? Is that all all four the same? I think so. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll change to St Kilda. Yeah, I'm changing to St Kilda on that basis. <laughs> damn it. Damn it, Tom. Damn it, Tom. <laughs> nah, but, boys, uh, obviously great to have a chat with you on uh, this Tuesday night as we uh, – wrap up the home and away season and preview the finals. Uh, we'll keep you updated on our social media pages regarding our shows over the next couple of, couple of weeks as we lead into finals. Obviously, next week is the pre-finals buy. So something that I truly hate, but I feel like a few clubs are going to enjoy the pre-finals buy this year just to mend those injured players. But make sure you ch- tune into our social media pages at Mojo Sports AFL on Instagram to get all of your updates from the podcast. Ash, Tom, thanks for joining me, fellas. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Uh, thanks, for, thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure that uh, you join us for our very next episode. Cheers.